we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. We've been shaped by stories our entire lives. When we were younger, they were read to us at bedtime. They come from our teachers in class and friends in the hallways. We see them in our favorite movies and TV shows. We relate to them, visualize them, and share them. Jesus understood this and chose to teach through stories. And the stories of Jesus give life. His stories are called parables, and now we learn from these parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Well, good morning. It's so good to worship with you today. Uh, My name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at First Baptist Church. If you're new with us uh, this morning, thank you so much for worshiping with us today. We would love to know uh, that you were with us uh, worshiping today with us, and you can let us know by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. You can do it right on your phone. I'll even let you do it right now. You have permission, but we're so glad that you've chosen to worship um, with us today. We are in the heart of Advent, uh, where we anticipate uh, and celebrate the mystery of the incarnation of the Son of God. And if we would pause, which this season of Advent calls us to pause um, and think through that, that's really a staggering thought, isn't it? That the Son of God came to us as Emmanuel, God with us. We're also uh, in week two of our Reverse series. Now, Reverse is a kind of a snazzy word that we use here in the First Baptist family to describe a pattern uh, of reading the scripture together as a church family. We ask that you read certain passages on your own throughout the week. Uh, We invite you to be a part of Bible study every week in Sunday school or a small group where you're talking about that same passage together and how to apply it to your life. And then we say, come to worship, and you're gonna hear the same text uh, preached. And so we are in week two uh, in chapter six of Luke, and uh, we're walking through um, many, many parables in the Gospel of Luke, uh, most of which all of you or some of you uh, have heard. And even if you didn't grow up in church, some of these you've heard in your life uh, because the parables um, are just so well known, even in our own culture, even among people who might not have grown up hearing them a lot of their life. Um, And so here we are. Um, Again, we're today in particular, we are in Luke chapter six, verses 46 through 49. So if you have a copy of God's word, I'd love for you to open up with me or you can even use your device to read along with me. A few words I wanna say uh, about where we are uh, in the Bible. We are in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is one of four Gospels. Luke is interesting in that um, he is the only non-Jew or Gentile to be included in the scriptures. We know that from Colossians chapter four. Paul clues us in on that, it's pretty cool. 
um, that he is represented in there. We also know Luke was not an immediate apostle, right? Uh, Nor was John Mark for that matter. Um, But Luke got to hang out a lot with Paul uh, and he probably saw and encountered some incredible things as Paul was commissioned to go into the Gentile world to tell them about Jesus. He faced hardship alongside Paul. He saw miracles alongside Paul. Um, He uh, just was witness to some incredible things as the Holy Spirit uh, testified about the Son throughout that part of the world. Um, and, And so here we have Luke Um, who later on in his life um, went and began to do a lot of research um, about the life, teaching, and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And he, more than any of the other gospel writers, wanted to do it in a very orderly fashion, um, chronological as best as he could. A lot of the other gospels are more thematic in their approach. But Luke, uh, being a doctor and a physician, is orderly. He wants to get his research right. That's why he includes a lot more names in the the Roman and Greek world and dates and things like that. He's just really orderly, and it really helps us uh, Westerners, um, it really helps us in his orderliness. And so we're grateful for Luke. And obviously, uh, he includes the parables of Jesus. And so also a word about parables. Um, Parables um, is one of the primary methods that Jesus used to teach people about who he was and what the kingdom of God was like. Um, He used them for two main reasons. Um, So there was a time when the apostles really wrestled with the parables just like everyone else. And they came up to Jesus after one session of teaching and and the, the disciples said, Jesus, can you help us out here? Why is it so hard to understand? Can you just tell us what you're trying to say with these parables? Uh, why do you teach this? Why can't you just tell us plainly? And uh, Jesus says two things about parables. Um, one, um, and this is me just kind of summarizing what I understand Jesus to be saying as to why he uses parables. Jesus uses parables or teaches in this way so that he can really attract those who are hungry for the righteousness of God. Uh, those people who are really seeking truth, that are willing to dig deep. So he gives them this, these simple, mysterious, and profound stories and says, the truth's in there, are you willing to dig for it? He, he's, really, he's really appealing to people whose ears are wide open, are ready to hear, and whose eyes are open and are ready to see. They're, they're aching for it. They're aching for truth. And so he's, he presents those parables. In the same way, uh, the parables also condemn those who aren't in a place where they hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hear without understanding, they see without seeing. And Jesus says, I give people, I give those people parables and because of their lack of seeking, those parables condemn them because the truth's there, but they're not searching for it. And so you have these two reasons, um, to, to feed those who are hungry and condemn those who think they have it all together. Um, two purposes in the telling of the parables. 
And lastly, especially when we get to this text in chapter six, um, the reason he uses this parable is to sum up where he has been in the last several verses. In the beginning of chapter six of Luke, he begins his most famous sermon, the sermon on the mount. Thank you very much. And so right here in Luke, um, Jesus wraps up his teaching with a challenge that we're gonna get to in a moment um, because he's just preached to them the most profound, paradigm-shifting sermon ever preached. It's in the context of the sermon that he calls those who are listening to a brand new way of life. We see that in the Beatitudes in verses 20 through 24, right? He says, blessed are those who are poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are hungry, for they will be satisfied. Uh, Blessed are those who grieve and mourn, Um, And so he casts this vision for a brand new way of life that's best summarized in those Beatitudes that are worded a little differently, a little longer in Matthew. Uh, In this sermon, he calls them to a righteousness that is far greater than the religious elite around them, the Pharisees. He says, your righteousness has to be greater than them, right? Which was a condemnation of some of those religious leaders, not all, but some Jesus began to describe the kind of righteousness that comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. While that's very true, it also wasn't all that encouraging because one of the reasons we know that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount was to awaken his listeners to the reality that I don't have much on the inside that's righteous. Gosh, if it's from the inside out, Jesus, if that's the kind of righteousness that I need to have, I'm in trouble. And ultimately, we know Jesus was leading him, them to himself, the answer, the righteous one. In verse 40 of chapter six, we see Jesus's expectations in his teaching. He says this in verse 40, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. This is very common. Those who were following a rabbi, those who were disciples, the very function of a disciple was to follow their rabbi, their teacher, to listen and to watch what he says and what he does so that they could do the very same thing, so that they could become like their teacher. And so the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount was to teach and call people to do what he does, to become like him. And with that said, let's stand together and we're going to read this final challenge at the end of the sermon, verses 46 through 49. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Let's pray. Father, may that not be us. Help us to listen to your word and to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So 
there's something very implicit in this text. In fact, if you read Scott Lane's um, Everyday Prayer blog two days ago, that's Friday, right? Um, uh, Scott uh, wrote that it's very implicit that everyone's building something in their life. And it's very true that in this text, Jesus is implicitly saying that everyone who lives and breathes is building a house or is building a certain kind of life. There's literally no neutral ground. You don't have a person that's not building uh, and then a person who's intentionally building. Everyone who is living and breathing and working and playing and living this life is building their life in and around something. You are building a house of some kind in your life. In fact, I would say how we see and interpret the world around us shapes how you're building and what you're building. How you interpret the world, what's important in the world. Even, even if you're not aware that you're thinking those kind of things, what is the world like? What is my worldview? You are just operating out of how you're operating and in that way you are building something in your life. Even if it's unintentional, it's just the way that it is, whether we realize it or not. In this passage, after Jesus is taught this incredible sermon on the mount that is paradigm shifting in many, many ways, a call to a brand new kind of righteousness, Jesus is saying to us, will you see the world through me? Will I be your blueprint or will something else be your blueprint? That's really the dichotomy here. Jesus is saying, Will you follow me? Will I be your blueprint? Or will you unintentionally or intentionally go your way or someone else's way? There's no middle ground. Jesus later would say, you're either for me or against me. I, it, can't be, it can't be both. Um, and so implicitly, Jesus is saying, everyone is building something in your life. The question is, are you building through the lens and means of Jesus? That's the question he is asking people. Something else in this text is very, well, it's not so implicit. It's in some ways very direct. We see this in verse 46 and 49. Jesus says, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? So apparently there were many who were following him who had been following him, watching the miracles, hearing the teaching, that were enamored by what Jesus was saying and doing, but they were yet to actually do what he's telling them to do. They weren't aligning their life to what he was uh, actually saying and doing. And so there's that kind of person that is coming and hearing, but not doing. Then he talks about what that kind of person looks like in verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground with no foundation, no foundation. And when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. There's 
two ways to look at this concept of, of the floods that come, that sweep down against the house. One is the troubles that we just face in life. And all of us, it's, we're, none of us are exempt from that. We face trouble. But also Jesus is alluding to judgment that's coming. And a life that is without foundation cannot stand against the judgment of God, but is destroyed. And so Jesus says implicitly, there's a kind, there's a, a kind of religiosity that very much looks the part. In other words, it looks sturdy and put together. Uh, the frames look like they're together and the ornamentation around the house looks great and uh, it just looks pristine and wonderful. From the outside in, you would think, wow, that's a, that's a gorgeous house. I, that's the kind of house I want. And, and to put it in the religious context, it would be like, wow, that, that's what spiritual maturity looks like from the outside in. This is exactly what Jesus consistently accused some of the religious elite of, right? And in Matthew chapter 23, verses three, and then verses 27 through 28, listen to this. He says, he says to those who are listening, the crowds, about the Pharisees, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they preach. Jesus says, don't do what they do. Don't do what they do. They look the part. They look like they have it together, that they're a sturdy, spiritually mature house, but don't do what they do. And then he even says it more starkly in verses 27 and 28. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, like a wonderful house, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is teaching in this simple, very direct and clear parable that there's a way to build a life that on the outside in, it looks like you have it all together. And even people might say, gosh, I wanna be like, that spiritually mature person, but in the reality, it's all a sham. You just show up at the right places, you put on the right clothes, you, you're part of the right stuff, but there's no foundation where you're actually following Jesus in the normal rhythms of life. And Jesus says, when the waves come and the waters rise, that person, person's house will be destroyed. Some of you might remember this, but in 2006, there was a developer who secured significant amount of funding to begin a new housing project called the Tundra Village. Anyone remember that? No one remembers this? Come on now. Well, this developer, um, he started building these homes um, in the hopes of people that were working at the Tundra factory would have wonderful new homes. I mean, it was this big, wonderful plan, but he ended up running out of funding because he was spending money on himself. And then he, there was litigation against him. But when they actually got to the development, you know what they discovered? He's building sham houses. Uh, there was no plumbing. 
there, I mean, in some places, he, he had crossed the plot lines. He, 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 was not, he was not there to build real homes with unreal foundations. He was there just to gain whatever he could for himself. And initially from the outside looking in, gosh, that's, that's a cool place I'd like to live. But at the end of the day, it was a facade just to meet his own needs and to fill his own pockets. Jesus says there's a way to live a life like that in the religious spiritual world that's a sham without foundation. And Jesus says don't live that way. So what is Jesus calling us to? Um, Verse 47, he says, I will show you what it's like. I'm gonna show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. That's a pretty simple definition of discipleship, right? Coming to Jesus, listening to Jesus, and following him. He says, it's like a person building a house who digs deep into truth and righteousness and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is, it is well. Jesus says, I want you to know that there's a kind of life building. There's a kind of life that is sturdy and strong and that when judgment comes, it stands strong and mighty and stable. There's a kind of life that as it holds on to the promises that are found in the foundation of God's truth in his son that can withstand even the troubles our world throws our way. He says there's a kind of life like that. And I'm gonna tell you what that person looks like and how that person gets there. And he tells us, he says, that person comes to me, listens to me, follows me. Take a moment to think about those three instructions coming to Jesus. Uh, that alone is, is as staggering as the incarnation as the Son of God. That the very Son of God, there is no one more holier and true than Jesus Christ, under whom, without him, we would be condemned. And Jesus says, come to me. You know, Jesus won't turn anyone away. Some of us have a frame of mind that we think, no, I've done too much, Danny. There's no way that Jesus would receive a person like me. I am, I am too much in the mix and thick of things right now. Jesus can't do anything with me. And Jesus, the Son of God, says, come to me. That's staggering that we have the privilege to come to Jesus. And so Jesus says, come. And he says, for those who have ears, will you listen to me? Will you listen? Will you seek and dig for truth? That parable was that invitation, right? Will you, will you dig into the, the depths of this parable where you will find me, where you'll find truth, where you find that rock? Will you listen? And then he says, man, the person who f not just comes and listens, but the person who follows me and does 
what I do is like a person who builds their house on a rock. We know Jesus isn't talking about this a works-based righteousness that's not what he's talking about here, but he's talking about the life-shaping, life-building kind of faith in Jesus that manifests itself in saying, not only do, am I, do I think Jesus is a pretty cool person, but I wanna live and follow him and bear that kind of same fruit in my life. I wanna look like my rabbi, my teacher. I wanna become just like him. And that would be the vision that Jesus would cast for us and even Paul would echo that we would become and be transformed to the very image of the Son. Jesus says, will your life building look kind of like that? Not just hearing what I'm saying, but hearing and believing and doing. Uh, we get a sense of what Jesus is talking about because again, this is a, this is a wrap up of this Sermon on the Mount. We, we go back to those Beatitudes. Uh, will we actually rely on God in our real life? Will we hold on to the promises of God when hard things come our way? Will we hunger for righteousness? Will we ache to be more and more like Jesus, to shirk the sin that entangles us, to step out of the mess that we find ourselves in? Jesus says, will your life be like that? Will your life be a humble life where you grieve over your sin? It's a new paradigm. That's not the way the world lives. The world is seeking self, power, and control, but will you seek humility and being satisfied by the righteousness of God, and will you not rely upon yourself, but rely upon me? That kind of person is laying stone after stone upon the foundation of righteousness in the Son of God. Will you do that? That person won't be moved when trouble comes, when judgment comes, that person will stand in my righteousness. Jesus is teaching us with that kind of life, building that kind of life, seeing through the lens of Jesus, making Jesus our blueprint, saying that kind of life will reap a great, great reward. Um, back in 2016, I had the privilege of going up into the Burj Khalifa. Anyone else been there? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world for now. They already have new plans for taller buildings. It's in Dubai. Um, and I had the privilege to go up into, uh, to go into the observation tech deck on that tallest building. It was a phenomenal experience. It was phenomenal. Uh, two elevators, because they don't have an elevator that can be engineered to go from ground zero to all the way to the top. It's that tall. It's incredible. You get in the elevator, it's like a Disney ride. They, everything goes black, and they project clouds and other buildings on the walls of the elevator, like real historical buildings as you pass them. It's like, boom, Eiffel Tower, boom, Sears Tower. It's pretty awesome. How in the world could they have built such an incredible building? I mean, the architects and engineers that had to think through how to make that building so tall and so stable that it could withstand the winds, and everything that it comes its way. 
And they laid it out on the blueprints. It has to be on this kind of foundation. And this is what we have to do. And, and if we mess this up in any way, this building's coming down. We have to hold to the blueprints. And what's true of the Burj Khalifa is true of our own life. That's what Jesus is saying. Will you follow the one true architect and engineer for your life? Will you look at the blueprints that I give you and will you obey them? Will you not cut corners and will you not, because it costs too much and it's too hard or, or I just don't wanna do it that way. It takes too much time. Jesus says, no, if you wanna build a house and it's possible to build a house, the kind of house that rests upon me, the firm foundation, if only you would follow the blueprints, what I say and do them. That's the question for us, is will we not only come, will we not only listen? I mean, it's easy to look the part. It's easy to put on the right garb of clothing. It's easy to come to worship gatherings. It's easy to come to Bible study. But Jesus is saying, will you do what I tell you to do in the normal rhythms of life with your friends and your enemies and those who hurt you? Will you love your neighbor as yourself? Will you forgive? Will you bless? Will you serve? Will you wash each other's feet? Will you do what I say? Don't just look the part. Be the house that is built on a firm foundation. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. This simple story about houses and foundations. Lord, we ask that you help us. One, convict us by your spirit of the places where we're not aligning our life with your blueprint. We're just going about things our own way. Lord, we know we can come to you and receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, but Lord, also give us the feet to live differently, to do what you called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.